I, uh, I could call on different people. I won't do that this morning. It's, it's interesting to me. See, you may not understand. You may not understand. It's like, man, I don't, I don't get this. I, I don't get people... I don't get people lifting their hands and like all this noise, I don't know, this worship, this expression of emotion. What in the world is going on? But let me explain to you what's going on. How about that? I, I have a question. Hon- honest question. How many, how many of you have ever cheered on or spoke well of the Seahawks. Raise your hand. Like only nine people in this whole room. That just blows my mind. Some of you may need to lift people's hands for them if they're not honestly lifting their hands. Okay, maybe you're a little smarter than that, right? Maybe you've, che- maybe you've cheered on and rooted for the Steelers. Right? No, sorry. The question, what have they ever done for you? I mean, they maybe brought you a moment of excitement, exhilaration. I I get that. May have effect. But like in, in your life, if you look at your life, what can you point to in your life, in your family, in your home, in your living? What can you point to and say, Man, the Seahawks did this for me. That sounds silly, doesn't it? But yet, people will praise them. And they don't praise them like this. Nice touchdown. That was an incredible catch. I'm so glad I've watched. Is that true? Like people lose their ever-loving minds. That's why they call them fans, which is short for fanatics. Now, I'm going to share some things. We'll transition in a minute. I want to share some things. And you might think, man, I can't believe he shared that. But anything I might share has already been shared publicly before. Is that fair? Okay. Now, you, you saw Brother Martin, for those of you who don't know who that is. He's the guy that came up and spoke for a minute and then asked ushers to come receive the offering. See, I, I met him for the first time almost seven years ago. And when I met him for the first time seven years ago, he had just gotten out of prison. After being in and out, in and out, in and out, probably almost half of his life. He's in his mid-40s now. In gangs. By the time he was a teenager, he was a drug abuser and user. He and his mom would shoot up and get high together in their home. He knows what it is to be homeless and live on the streets. He's been there. Now I can tell you where he is today. The Seahawks didn't do it for him. And we pray for him because he's a Seahawks fan. But, I'm kidding. It was a joke. Some of you get ready to walk out on me. You saw, you saw Brother Lewis that opened the service today, shared a few things from the Word, and exhorted us to praise. He and his wife, before they were even married, were teenagers. If I'm getting this right, living on the streets in California at one point, part of the time. Both drug users. Mixed up in things in their life 
that you would think, how in the world as teenagers did they ever make it? How long y'all been married now? 29 years now almost of marriage. Have two beautiful daughters. I'm losing count, but I think they have five grandchildren now. (laughs) Their daughters, their son-in-laws, all their grandchildren are here in the house of God this morning. I remember the first time I met Brother Juan and Sister Mary. Mariah was a little bitty baby. You saw Sister Mary and Mariah up here worshiping and singing today. They were coming out of the world. Sister Mary, she would carry a gun in her purse because of what she was mixed up in and the stuff she... Some of y'all didn't know that. Some of you were like, what? <laughs> because of stuff she was mixed up in and the, the things Brother Juan was mixed up. And it was a tangled mess and, and we didn't know... We didn't know if their marriage was going to make it early on. There was, if, there was, I know some things. I'm not going to tell you everything I know, but why am I telling you all this? Because if you're thinking, why are these people praising? What is this about great are you, Lord? What, 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 is that just words to a song? Oh, no, 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 no. This is an expression of a heart to a God that has made a difference in a life that no man could ever make. It's an expression of our spirit to Him who did this. Now, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Don't let the suit fool you. Right? I, I think it's beautiful. That, you know, I'd rather not wear a tie. I, I don't have to. I don't. I guess I don't know. Just tradition through years, whatever. Don't let the suit fool you, right? Sometimes people are like, "Man, I I don't know about going to church." All those people are like, "I'm not that uppity." Or, don't let the suit fool you, right? Here, can we just be transparent and honest this morning? Is this okay? Can we just be real? Okay, here. This fancy suit. I'm going to tell you. I think could be wrong. This is a custom tailored suit. Hugo Boss, I think that's a big name brand. So, just in case you wonder, I paid $27 for this suit at a thrift store. Is that too transparent? Can we be real? Is that all right? Sometimes you can look at people and we can make judgments based on what we see on the outward. But I'm trying to help you understand some people's life stories and why we declare praise and say, great is our God. Don't let the tie fool you either. I can't remember if I bought this one or my son bought me this one. I think I bought this one. My son said it wasn't me. I don't know if that meant, ain't no way I'd buy that tie. No, I don't think he meant. Three bucks at a thrift store. Okay? So, don't worry, I'm not going (laughs) to... You're like, man, now he's taking off the tie. Don't, don't let... The shirt? Somebody gave it to me. Now I'm talking about surface things. But as human beings, we often look at surface and make judgments. But we have to understand the praise and adoration that you're hearing this morning. The expression of people's, yes, emotions, but not just emotions, from their heart and from their spirit is an expression of gratitude to our maker, the creator, who has delivered us from the bondage of sin. Many in the room delivered from the bondage of drug or alcohol addiction. Many delivered from the bondage of gangs and violence and prison life and things that... Only God could ever transform a life. And if you look now, you say, oh, they look so nice in their suit. You don't know the whole story. This is why we praise Him. That's why we praise Him. Now, you think, well, He's just pointing at everybody else. 18 years of my life as a child, 13 of those in an abusive home, physically, emotionally, mentally, and other ways I won't talk about. But God, but God, but God, I am not ashamed 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what you're experiencing this morning, if you're trying to figure it out, is people who are not ashamed to magnify the living God. Amen. He delivered. We sang that song. You give hope. You restore. It's what he does. It's what he does. And this is why we praise. Amen. Praise God. I'm glad you're here today. It's wonderful to worship the Lord with you. And it gave me an excuse to get rid of that jacket and that tie. Praise God. Amen. I'm going to dismiss teachers to the classroom this morning. If you're a guest, we're honored that you're here. I mean that. Thank you for being with us today. Worship with us. I pray the Spirit of God and the Word of God would touch your heart, your mind, your life, and your spirit. We can't do that. Only He can. But He can. I gave you a few testimonies. We could have kept going for a while. People you see in this room are living stories of the power of God to change a life situation. There's a song we used to sing, said, you've tried everything else. Why not try Jesus? Amen. Sometimes, we'll dismiss children ages 4 to 11. Children 4 to 11. Sometimes the reason, the challenge for us in North America is that we have it too good. And so our relationship with God is one of convenience, not one of truly surrendering all, like the song we sang this morning. Well, I want to know Him, and I want the things that benefit me that He can do, but, I mean, you're talking about surrendering all, giving all to Him. My life belonging to him, man, that's a little extreme. That's because in North America, we have been blessed financially. We've been blessed with a lot of material things. They're just things. And so that has been oftentimes to our detriment because... It removes our desire for the things of God if we're not careful. We'll settle and seek to be satisfied by the things of this world. But they're only temporary. He's eternal. He's eternal. And he brings life eternal. And I'm so thankful today. Praise God. Would you grab your Bible today? Let's dig into the Word for a few minutes together. Thank God for His goodness, for His Word. Now, where we start today may not be where we finish. We'll just see. It's been said... By a couple already, God has a plan for you. Everybody say me. Me. Say it again, me. me. Okay, so that's who we're talking about when we say God has a plan for you. Every one of you. It's personal with God. He has a plan for you. The thing about God is he won't force his plan on you. He won't make you or I participate. He says, whosoever will, let him come. And so there becomes this surrendering, like we sang about this giving of my life to him. I surrender all to you, everything I give to you. Raise your hand if you're married. Look at that. One of the most difficult problems in marriage is when people aren't willing to give their all to one another. 
That takes time. That doesn't happen the day you say I do. <laughs> it does not happen the day you say I do. <laughs> right? It's not original with me, but I know it to be true. I've married a few couples along the way, and there ain't any of them that I married that were in love. And when you got married, you weren't in love either. Yeah, some of you are like, what? Yes, we were. <laughs> no, you weren't. You were in lust. You were in desire. You were in infatuation with one another. You weren't in love. You know how I know that? Well, I've been married 30 years. I'll tell you why I know that. Because love, the Bible says, true love is selfless. True love doesn't go, what's in it for me? But there ain't a one of us when we got married wasn't thinking about what's in it for me. Is that a true statement? Didn't mean you didn't care for the other person. But true love grows, right? Oh, you love me when I look my best. You love me when I fix my hair and I got a little bit of cologne on, right? But do you love me? You know, you're right. What happens through time, right? Now you see and know all of my humanity, my flaws, my faults, my failures, my shortcomings, my imperfections. Do you love all that too? See, love has grown into, love has grown into, and so you learn, I say all that to say this, we learn to give ourselves completely to one another in marriage. What's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. I'm no longer in it for me, I'm in it for us. I'm not thinking in terms of you and I, mine and yours, his and hers, I'm now thinking ours, together. This is why the Lord said in Genesis, and Jesus quoted it, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. All right? God has a plan for you. But it's going to take a fullness of commitment. A fullness of commitment. And he's willing to be patient along that journey to bring us there. Amen? The book of Genesis. I believe that if we will open our spirit today, that no matter where we are in our, our journey and our walk, that God will speak to us by his word. Genesis 37. If you've been here the last few weeks or been connecting online there has been a thread, and uh, I don't know how it works for you. When God begins dealing with my heart about a certain thing and talking to me in a certain area, talking to me about a certain... It seems like no matter where I go in the Word, that seems to stand out. That element of the Word or a story or a life seems to stand out to me. And so look with me in the book of Genesis chapter 37... Verse number 5. This will be familiar to many of us, but I think the Lord may talk to us a little differently from it today. Genesis 37, verse 5. I'm reading from the New King James, so if it sounds a little bit different to you. Now, Joseph had a dream. By the way, Joseph was a teenager at this time. How old was he? Oh, Samuel left. He could tell us how old he was. He was right around 17. You see that up in verse number 2. Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers. Any, anybody ever shared a dream he had before? Yeah, of course. All right. Joseph had a dream. He shared it with his brothers. And they hated him even more. Must have been some kind of dream, huh? So he said to them, verse 6, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. He's a little excited. You ever been excited about a dream? Joseph's excited about it. Please hear this. Verse 7. There we were. Me and you, brothers, there we were. We were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves also stood all around, and they bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, verse 8, Shall you indeed reign over us? 
Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? A little bit of attitude rising up here, isn't it? So they hated him even more for his dream and his words. Verse 9, it just gets better. Then he dreamed still another dream, and he told it to his brothers. You would think he probably would have kept this one to himself. But he was excited about something happening to him. So he dreamed another dream. And he told his brothers, he said, look, I dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. He had 11 brothers. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Now I want you to notice something in that passage of scripture that we just read there in verses 5 through 11. Joseph is young. And he's excited about something happening to him. And so he's sharing it. Notice, my dream, my sheaf, bowed to my sheaf. You got it? There was a lot of my going on in his dream. You got that picture? Usually when you have a dream, you remember other people, but more than anything, you remember your place in it. That's where Joseph was. And so he was telling people about his dream and his place in the dream and them in relation to him in the dream. My, my, my. They did not like that. They already didn't care for him because he was daddy's favorite. But now he's got these dreams and in his dream, they, the dream didn't take a whole lot of discernment to interpret. The brothers said, we're going to bow down to you. And then mom and dad and the brother, we're going to bow down. And they hated him even more. Now, fast forward. I'm not going to read all 10 chapters or all 13 chapters at the end of Genesis. And everybody said, thank God. But I want you to understand the story of Joseph. Joseph goes out to meet his brothers in the field. And they see him coming. They're like, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. That's what they called him, the dreamer. Let's kill him. Now, one of their brothers spoke up and said, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Let's put him in his, hold on, let's put him in, well, let's decide. Hold on a minute. They put him in this pit. The one brother, I don't know what happened. The brother that said, don't kill him, seemed to leave the picture for a minute. And when he seems to leave the picture, this band of Midianites come by that are people traders. They're human traffickers. It's been around a long time. They stop, and the, 11, the other ten brothers say, you know what? Why should we let him die out here for nothing? Let's at least get something out of the guy. Let's sell him. And they did. They sold Joseph to the Midianites for 20 pieces of silver and sent him off into Egypt. Now watch. This is... If you don't read through, you'll miss parts of the story that sometimes aren't revealed in the beginning. They're revealed later on, but you have to put them in their right place in the timeline. Does this make sense? So if you read the story of Joseph being down in the pit before he sells his, his brothers sell him, you don't understand that he said something to them before they sold him. But he did. And if you read further in the story... It's revealed that he spoke to them from the pit before they sold him. Did you know that? Genesis chapter 42. Seems like Joseph gets in trouble when he talks. You know anybody like that? We're all human, aren't we? Genesis 42, verse 21. Then they said to one another, this is all of Joseph's brothers now. Joseph is now in a place, he's elevated up in the king in Egypt. If you know the story, he's now over all the land of Egypt. 
But he said something, and his brothers are over here talking among themselves. They don't realize who it is. And so we get a look back as they're talking among themselves. They said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. They're talking about Joseph. For we saw, watch, watch their words. We saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. And we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come on us. And Reuben answered them. He's the one that said we shouldn't kill him. Reuben answered them. This is this group of 11 talking and said, did I not speak to you saying don't sin against the boy and you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. So now we have this other picture. We have Joseph that told his dream and the result. Now we look back and we see apparently right before they sold him out of the pit, Joseph was pleading with his brothers. That doesn't seem hard to fathom, does it? Here's a 17-year-old boy who's 11 brothers that are all, or 10 brothers, because Benjamin was probably back at home or not participating. 10 of his brothers are... Talking about killing him. And they've got him in a pit. And now they're talking about selling him. He had to hear, even if he couldn't see, he had to hear this exchange going on for his life. And they come to take him out of the pit. His brothers. And here's Joseph, 17 years old, pleading with them. The brother said, did we not hear the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us? Don't do this to me. Please don't do this to me. Please don't do this to me. Why would you do this to me? Why would you? You're my brother. You're my brother. Please, what, what have I done to you? Why, why would you do this thing to me? And they're recalling years later, if you study the scripture more than 12 years later, they're recalling those pleading anguish of his soul crying out to them, why would you do this to me? Please don't. But they would not hear. And they sold him. Reuben said, did I not tell you don't sin against him, but you wouldn't hear. We wouldn't hear his voice. Joseph was pleading for himself. Joseph was trying to save his life. Genesis chapter 40. So now we've seen two times where Joseph is speaking. My dream, my sheaf, you bowing to me. My, my, my. In a pit, pleading. My life, save me. Don't do this to me. Help me. See the pattern? I'm emphasizing because I want us to see the pattern. Genesis chapter 40 and verse 13. Now, hold on there. I got to catch you up on the story since we're not reading all 13 chapters. So Joseph has been sold. The Midianites take him down into Egypt and sell him, make a profit on him. He begins to work in a man that is a, a captain there in Egypt named Potiphar. He begins to work in his house. And Potiphar is the slave owner, the master. Joseph is the servant, the slave. And Joseph begins to work in Potiphar, the Egyptian's house. And Potiphar recognizes, man, there's something special about this kid. Keep in mind, he's 17, 18 years old. There's something special about this kid. He has his stuff together. And the Bible even says that Potiphar recognized that God was blessing his house because of this kid, Joseph. And somewhere along the way in this relationship, Joseph, the blessing of God upon Joseph that came on Potiphar's house, Potiphar recognized it so much that Potiphar gave his whole house over to Jacob to take care of, or Joseph said, Joseph, you take care of my whole house. Everything was under Joseph's care in his house. 
the blessing of God, it would seem, was on him, even though he'd been sold and wasn't where he wanted to be. But one small problem. Potiphar had a wife. Well, that wasn't a problem, but she was a problem. Potiphar's wife set her eyes on Joseph. Again, nothing new under the sun. An older woman looking at a younger man, desiring him. She's married. He's not. She begins to pray on him. Read it. in the. It's in the Bible. You think, man, that's a little graph. It's in the Word. I'm trying to give you the basic version. See, there's spirits that work in our world that have worked since the beginning of time and before the beginning of time. And they may take on different manifestations and they may operate in different ways, but it's the same spirit that seeks to destroy lives, that seeks to tear apart marriages, that seeks to hurt homes, that seeks to destroy people. And so this spirit of lust came on Potiphar's wife and she kept trying to get Joseph to enter into relationships with her. Well, Joseph being a man of integrity and a man of God with a relationship with God, Joseph said, I'm not doing this. Well, one day she kept pressing him. He was in the house, the Bible says, taking care of the business that he had to take care of. And he made a fatal mistake. He went in there alone. Let that be a lesson, men and ladies. He went in there alone. Well, so she pressed him again. Come lie with me. And she took hold of him, the Bible says. And Potiphar's wife, when she took hold of him, Joseph wrestled himself to get free from her. And he pulled himself out of his coat. And so she was left holding his coat. But he got free and ran and fled. Well, a scorned woman, realizing she had been rejected, she cried out. For the guards and the other servants of the house. And when they came she concocted a lie and said this Hebrew that Potiphar brought. Tried to come in and take advantage of me. And had I not cried out he would have done so. And see now I have his coat. And when her husband Potiphar came home she told the same lie and the same story. And said this Hebrew tried to do this to me. You think man this... This kid can't get ahead. I don't know if this living for God stuff works. His brother sold him. Things seem to be getting better. Then the woman of the house lies on him. As a result, Joseph, Potiphar had Joseph put in prison. Now, it's interesting to me. This is my personal opinion. I'm not trying to add to Scripture. This is my personal opinion. I firmly believe that if Potiphar had really believed his wife, he would have had Joseph killed. It's just me. But he had him put in prison for whatever reason. He had him put in prison. So now where we're getting ready to read in Genesis 40, Joseph is in prison. He went from a pit to a prison. Things were getting better for a minute and then now he's in prison. He doesn't want to be in prison. He didn't want to be in Egypt. He didn't want to be in the pit. He didn't want to be in Potiphar's house. He was just trying to make the most of life's situation. Now he's in prison. In prison, he still walks with integrity. He still keeps his relationship with God right. And before you know it, Joseph has the rule of the prison. And the captain, the guy that's over the prison, trusts Joseph with everything, running the prison. Now, Pharaoh throws his butler and his baker in prison for whatever reason. They have dreams. When they have a dream, they need an interpretation. Joseph hears their dream and he interprets it. Okay? So now we're going to hear Joseph talking again. Genesis chapter 40 verse 13. This is Joseph interpreting the butler's dream. The butler was the cupbearer. He was the one that would bring wine to the king, would wait at the throne and serve the king. He's told his dream to Joseph. Joseph says this in verse 13. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. 
and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. Now watch verse 14. Joseph's still talking. But remember me or think on me when it's well with you. When you're back in that place in front of Pharaoh and and things are good for you, would you remember me? Here's Joseph again. Remember me. I pray you unto me. Show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh. And get me out of this house. Verse 15. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. You hearing some words there? I, me, get me out of here. Get me out of this place. Get me out of this dungeon. Get me back to the land of the Hebrews. This is not comfortable. This is not where I want to be. This is not what I want for my life. This is me, I, help me. I I think his dreams, right, they're, they're, they're long gone as far as he's concerned. You still with me? I've never seen this in Joseph's life before until I was reading this again. How much effort and energy he was putting into trying to protect me. Get me out of the pit. When you get in front of Pharaoh, tell him to get me out of this place. Now, most of you know the story, but just in case you don't, the butler forgot him and never said anything about him when he got back at first. But something happened. Something happened in the process of time. Everybody say time. Time matters for God's plan in your life. And if I'm not careful, I'm as human as Joseph, and so I have to learn from Joseph's story. While God is working things according to his plan and purpose through time, what is happening is I can get focused on me, my, rescue me, help me, change it for me, fix it for me, rather than seeking the plan and the purpose and the design of God. Me. Now, time passes, Joseph's in prison, they forgot about him, the scripture says at the end of chapter number 40, the butler didn't remember him. But Joseph, or Pharaoh, has a dream. There seems to be a lot of dreams going on here, and Pharaoh has a dream, and it troubles him, he has two dreams, he wakes up, he calls all of his wise men, magicians, the scripture calls them, he calls them all together and says, I had a dream. It means something. I'm troubled by it. you got to tell me what this dream means. And, and he tells them his dream, and, and nobody can tell them what it means. And he's like, man, who are you? you? You should be able to tell me my dream. And he's getting worked up, and he's, it's troubling Pharaoh, the leader of all of Egypt. And when he's expressing this, wouldn't you know it, the butler happens to be around. And he says, oh, Pharaoh, now I recognize my mistake. You can read it in the Scripture. When I was in prison, when you had me and the baker put in prison, I had a dream. And this dream, this is what happened. And this, there was a man, there was a Hebrew there in prison. And he told me about my dream. And he told the, the baker. And what he told us is what happened. Three days, you restored me. The baker, you hung him. He, he can interpret dreams. I remember now. Timing with God is everything for his plan in my life and yours.
Pharaoh, so troubled by his dream, says, go get the Hebrew boy out of prison. Now, it's interesting to me. This is a side note, but it's, it's an interesting thing when you read this story. Read these chapter 37 through 50 uh, this week. It's a beautiful story. He goes and gets him. And I always love this part. Here's what it says about, again, go read it. Joseph didn't just go, oh, let me shower and I'll run up there. The Bible says, I've never seen this before, I've never noticed it. The Bible says that before he went to stand in front of the king, he washed, he changed his clothes, and he shaved. Isn't that interesting? Apparently there was something about how he was going to look when he stood in front of a heathen king. Just saying. Now, he goes, he interprets the dream. I'm fast-forwarding through so many good chapters. He interprets the dream. He says, Pharaoh, this is what your dream means. There's going to be seven years of plenty in all of Egypt, but then there's going to be seven years of famine like Egypt has never known. So, Pharaoh, what I would do if I were you is I would find someone that's wise and discerning, and I would place them in a position to where over the next seven years they could set aside one-fifth of all the harvest that comes in over the next seven years of plenty. And that way when the seven years of famine come, there will be plenty for the people that they not perish during the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh declares, is there any as wise as this man, Joseph? Now in a moment, he anoints Joseph, puts a ring on his finger, the signet, the Bible says, puts something on his head and raises him and says, there is none like him, and I put him in charge of everything in my kingdom except the throne. And Joseph became second in command in all of Egypt. You with me? You following this story? Genesis chapter 45. Now, Joseph's in command. The seven years of plenty have come and gone. We're now in the years of famine. Comes to a point where the famine has reached far beyond Egypt. It's throughout the whole land, the Bible says. And famine reaches to his dad and his mom and his brothers back in Canaan. And his dad says to his brothers, I understand that there's food in Egypt. I need you all to take some money and you need to go to Egypt and get us some food so we don't die. Joseph's brothers go to Egypt. They get food. I'm fat. You got to read the whole story. They go back. Time passes. They need food again. Jacob, their father, says, go back. They said, we can't go back. The man of the country spoke. Joseph, they didn't know it was Joseph. The man of the country spoke firmly with us and said, if you don't bring back that little brother that you told me you had, I know you're lying and you're spying out the land. You, if you come back, you better bring him or I won't believe you. And oh, by the way, he kept their brother Simeon in prison while they were gone until they returned. They said, Dad, we can't go if you don't let us take Benjamin. Jacob finally gave in and said, take him. If I lose him, I lose him. They come in. They speak. They're carrying on. Joseph can handle it no longer. He fixes a meal for them. They have a meal together. He sits separate from them. The Hebrews here, the Egyptian servants here, and Joseph over here because they don't know who he is. He can't take any longer. He's hearing their conversation. His heart is stirred He's grieving for his brothers. He's watching. He's witnessing. He's like, I can't do this any longer. He asked, watch verse 1, chapter 45. Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him. While Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He got all the Egyptians out of the room. It's just him and his brothers now. The brothers that wronged him, that sold him, that hated him. Oh, at this point, they bowed to him a couple times already, by the way. 
And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Now watch his words. Verse 3. You see these times Joseph is speaking. Watch verse 3. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed or afraid in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine's been in the land. There's still five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a a posterity for you in the earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go to my father. Say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God made me lord of all Egypt. Come to me. Don't tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You will be near to me. You and your children and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your house and all that you have come to poverty. There are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see. It's my mouth that speaks to you. Do you see the difference in Joseph's words now? I've never seen it before. All the other times he was speaking, it was me. Me. Preserve me. Save me. But here's what happened through time and the process and the pain and the suffering and the hurt of life. Joseph's focus came to the purpose of God rather than the preserving of self. Joseph came to understand God has a plan and a purpose that's greater than the preserving of myself. If God would have rescued me from the pit, my family would have died in the famine. If God would have rescued me from Potiphar and I'd have went back home, my family would have died in the famine. If God would have rescued me from the prison ahead of His timing, my family would have died and they would have never made it through the famine. But God, in His perfect timing, He knew what he was doing even when I cannot understand. When I don't understand the pit and it seems like my brothers are against me. When I don't understand the prison. When I don't understand being wronged even though I'm doing right. If I'll put my life and trust in the hands of a God that cannot fail. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. If Joseph would have preserved himself, he would have never seen the purpose of God. Sometimes we spend way too much time Asking God to rescue us rather than seeking His purpose in our pain. And the adversary will lie and deceive and say, See, God's punishing you. No. God has a purpose for you. But the thing about God is His purpose is never just about you. But you and I, because we're human, we like to make it about us. And so my brother says something to me that I don't like. And what it should do is reveal something in my spirit that I take to God and let him begin to work on. But because I'm about preserving me, 
I'll get offended at my brother. You know why it took so much time for Joseph in the pit, Potiphar's house in prison? Because God had to get all of that bitterness out of his heart towards his brothers so that God could use him to save them. Because if Joseph's heart hadn't have been free of bitterness and offense, he would have been in a position to say no. He now had power and he now had position. And God could not trust him with power and position until he understood the only reason, Joseph, for your power and your position is my purpose, not your profit. I'm going to say it again. The only reason God gives power and position is for His purpose, not our profit. Why doesn't He just tell me at the beginning what all this is about? Because then the pit wouldn't serve its purpose in your life. Well, because then the the prison wouldn't serve its purpose in your life. And all those things are serving purpose in your life. All those things that seem to be so painful and difficult to navigate. It's the love of God going, I know what I'm doing. you got to trust me. Maintain your integrity. Walk upright before me. I know what I'm shaping in your life. I know what I'm molding in your life. You may not understand it now, but if you'll keep your eyes fixed on me, if you'll keep crying out to me, if you'll work to maintain your integrity... Get anything you got in your heart towards your brother or your sister. Let me work that out of your spirit because I'd really like to use you for my purpose. But as long as you let those things get in and you are, it's, I, I just got to keep you in this place. It's not punishment. I'm trying to work some things out of you and get some things in you because I know the plans I have for you to bring you to an expected end. And the only way it's ever going to be accomplished is if you're not seeking to save self. You understand, the only reason there is a nation of Israel today. Let that sink in. The only reason there is a nation of Israel today is because Joseph didn't get his way. Now watch. The adversary always looks for a way to destroy the individual that would be used to fulfill God's purpose. But God could take one man and preserve a nation. Fast forward almost 2,000 years. There was another young man. His brothers rejected him too. He was sold by his own brothers for 30 pieces of silver. Oh, you've heard of him before. His name is Jesus. And the angel told Mary and Joseph, you call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. One man? Yes. One man. And we see the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of Joseph. In the garden, we see Jesus praying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. What is it? It's the humanity of a man that doesn't want to die. But an understanding of the purpose of God being greater 
than the preserving of the man. And so, we know the story, but we must hear it again and it must get into our spirit. The God of creation, robed in flesh, he could have saved himself. You hear his brothers? If you be the Christ, save yourself. Come down from the cross. Those were his brothers. He knew if he saved himself, it would be the death of all of his brothers. And so what did his prayer sound like? Father, forgive them. It's not about me. Father, forgive them. I hear Joseph. The Lord sent me before to preserve you and your children and your children's children. Joseph now had a view of the purpose of God. What was he saying? I see further than you see. Because when they came into Egypt, there was only 75 of them. But when they went out of Egypt, at a minimum, there were one million, and they estimate could have been as many as three million Israelites at that time. Joseph saw further when he got a glimpse of the purpose of God. And he said, God sent me to preserve you, but not just you, your children. And you haven't had some grandchildren yet, but they're coming. And God sent me even to preserve that generation. Not just that, your flocks, your herds, your houses, your land. God sent me. It's not about me. It's about you. He did this for you to preserve you. Would you stand with me this morning? There is purpose in your life. And there are some of you here today under the sound of my voice. You don't recognize it yet. You don't see your place yet. You're you're hearing this story and you're going, that's something, that's amazing, but it doesn't fit me. I'm telling you, there are those of you here today under the sound of my voice. You are going to be the difference for your family. Your commitment to his purpose rather than yourself will be the difference for your family and your family's family. It will reach further than you could ever imagine if you're willing to submit to his purpose and his process. I'm not telling you Joseph liked the pit. I'm not telling you he liked the prison I'm not telling you he enjoyed that. I'm sure he didn't. That's why he was always looking for a way out. But through the process of time, it's estimated a minimum of 12 years from when he was sold till he went to the palace. A minimum 12 years. Along the way. Along the way. He began to just submit to the will of God. I'm not even sure that when Pharaoh promoted him to second in command that he understood the purpose of God yet. But I promise you, when his brothers stood before him that first time, it all came clear. And for some of you here this morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know... Somewhere between your father's house and the palace, if I can say it that way. Somewhere along the process. But if you'll seek the face of God and say, God, I want your will more than my own. I want what you intend for me more than what I want for myself. I want to see your purpose accomplished through my life. If it's the saving of one if it's the saving of hundreds, or if it's the saving of millions. I want to submit to your process for my life, God. Your purpose above my preservation, if I could say it that way. Your purpose above my preservation. I'm opening this altar to you today. He knows what he's doing in your life. 
He knows where you are if you'll submit to his process. He will take those things that... Notice what Joseph said to his brothers. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. When you and I submit our lives into his hands, he has a way of taking those things that seem like, this is evil happening to me. This shouldn't be taking place. You understand, the Lord didn't say, hey, I approve of what your brothers did. He just understood it's serving my purpose. They made a choice that was wrong, but I'm going to use it for my purpose. And you've got to recognize when you and I submit our lives into his care, the pain, the problems, the pits, the prison, all those things he'll use for his purpose if I'll submit to it. But it's going to take a losing of myself. It's going to have to come about his purpose for others. Because the purpose of God is always, always bigger than me. In the name of Jesus, God, we want your purpose. As a body of believers, it cannot be about our congregation, our location, what we're doing. It must be about the greater work that God desires to do in these valleys and in the earth. It can't just be about protecting and preserving our four walls and what God gives us. It must be about the greater work of God in the earth. Lord, your purpose. I may not understand it now. I don't, but I trust you. I trust your leading. I trust that you're in control. I trust that you're ordering the steps. I trust that you're divinely directing circumstances. And no matter what happens, you'll use it for good as I submit to your will and to your work that your purpose would be realized in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Joseph came to an understanding of the purpose of God. Joseph came at peace with what God was allowing in his life. Joseph came to a pace of peace with all of the trouble and suffering because the Lord was using it. You can trust him. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You and I can keep trying to make the most of things in our own ability. Or we can trust Him. We can submit to His process. We can be obedient to His voice. It's called walking in faith. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Your will, Father, your purpose, God, your plan in all of this, Lord. You who knows the end from the beginning, God, we trust in you. We trust in you. Oh, God, let us be committed to your purpose in this hour. Let us be committed to your process, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Let him work in your heart. Let him work in your spirit. In the name of Jesus, God, grant me your perspective in all of this. Grant us your perspective in all of this. Forgive me of my selfish focus. You know my frame. You know my humanity, Lord. I want to understand your purpose. I want to be submitted to your cause and your calling. That your will would be done, God. That your will would be done, Father. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, on a very personal level. It may be necessary today that even among brothers and sisters in this room, 
There has to be a releasing of some things in the fear of God and in submission to God. Going, Lord, whatever this was, I'm not holding ill will. I'm not holding bitterness. I'm not holding offense. I'm trusting your purpose. You use their words while it may have stung to reveal something in my heart. So I'm submitting it to you. I want the mind of Christ. I want the mind of Christ. I want the will of God in this hour. I pray your purpose for the whole. In Jesus' name, your purpose for the whole, Father. Your purpose for the whole, Father. That there be unity of spirit. That the work of the kingdom be accomplished. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.